and welcome to Panels in Motion, the podcast where we read a comic, watch the movie adaptation, and figure out what went right or what went wrong. You deliver that really slow today. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the the power of the evil exes. Um, <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about Scott Pilgrim, the six volume book series and Yay. the Yay. one movie, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. The uh, book was written and illustrated by Brian Lee O'Malley, and he also had two assistants on volume six, which we'll talk about. Uh, Andre read the color versions because he had to be different, and those were colored (laughs) by Nathan Fairbairn. That's right. And the basic story premise is that Scott Pilgrim, an ordinary Toronto 22-year-old, starts dating this girl Ramona Flowers and must defeat her seven evil exes in order to stay with her. It was released over six volumes from 2004 to 2010. And uh, this is a unique one for us because all of us have both read the books and seen the movie in the past. So this is kind of us coming at it from a different perspective with more life experience. Yeah. Wait, when did you guys read it? Because I read it when I was like a sophomore in high school, which was exactly like eight plus years ago, I think. Was it eight years ago? That's when I read yeah. mine. Yeah. When did you guys read it? I first read it the same year as you. So I was a senior in high school and um, I watched the movie right after. Oh, you read um, it first? So, no, I read the first two volumes and then I watched the movie. And then like months later, I read the rest of them. Oh. Um, Wait, you. Yeah. You're... But then I've seen the movie. I haven't reread the book since then, but I've seen the movie more than any other movie. Uh, I always say that oh, it's your favorite. my favorite movie. We'll talk about we'll talk about that. Oh, really? Yeah, I wanted. I do. I, I was thinking when I was watching it, I was like, "This is Nick's favorite movie." I, I have things to say. Like, I, I'm wondering about this, so I'm yeah. excited to have this discussion. Um, what about you, no. Luke? So, the I'm pretty sure that I watched the movie first, and then I read the books. Uh, but when? In I'm pretty sure that I watched the movie first, so when it came out in 2010, and then immediately went and bought the books, which was $72. I just checked the other oh, day. Oh, shit. $72 for six black, black and white, white volumes and oh my God. a poster. Like, which- <laughs> future Luke is looking at old Luke being like, bro, you don't have that kind of money. Yeah, no, I was like, <laughs> I was like, man, you, you should have, you know, you could find you these online the if you know where to look. <laughs> But they're cheaper now. Even the color versions are cheaper than the really. Than that. Yeah, so I, I think so the color just, version was fifty bucks or something for the whole I, series. No, so it was twenty dollars for the poster. The poster is very nice though. It it's currently <laughs> it's still hanging in my childhood bedroom back home, which is okay, been converted into an office for my dad, which really you know that's shows funny. Have you Gross. seen a photo of my have you seen a photo of my um my desk like um at my like where I work and stuff? No. So Karen Karen um back in high school she painted like this acrylic painting oh. of Scott Pilgrim, but it was me instead of Scott Pilgrim. And it was like this this like little brown guy with a beard. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and I got it framed Dude. and I hang it up on my wall. So it's like I'm like a major fan now because I have that hanging up. And it's actually my Twitter profile. I got it like before we started this podcast, I wanted to have a a, a little avatar. So I got it digitized by some dude on Fiverr. And um <laughs> and and it's basically Scott Pilgrim, but me. Um so I'm like a major fan. You can call me a you can call me a I'm a big fan. Yeah. I can say I can oh. say a, a little little trivia. I got the DVD 
because uh, it was the only gift that my ex ever bought me. <laughs> she was like two months before she broke up with me, and I was like, oh my God. I was like, hey, it was yeah, I think it was a Christmas gift. And she, I was like, hey, I really love this movie. Can you get it for me on DVD? And she's like, yeah, sure. And then she stopped loving She probably me. liked it because she was like, I like I like this league thing going on. So you have your own <laughs> league of evil, evil exes. Is Marie like in the process of like fighting each and every one of them? Like yes, she's she is. working her way up? Yeah. Andre, yeah. Is, you don't have any evil exes. I don't. <laughs> I don't. But that one middle define- school ex. Oh, that doesn't was like, count. That was, no, it does count. count. Like a, it does count. That was like a two day, no, it doesn't count because it was like a two no, day relationship. Oh no, that's God. just that's like Matthew Patel. That's Ramona's first. Act. Oh, you're right. Yeah, but like, <laughs> I don't want to. I was about like, that. I don't technically have any evil exes, but if we count the way that Ramona did, then I probably have some. Yeah, <laughs> actually, Karen is one of my evil exes. Actually, so like, if you think about it, because we broke <laughs> up in high school, so it's like, so technically, she's the evil ex, and she has. And, She's that was also me. when you read these books for the first time. She's was during Gideon. that short period. She's Gideon. Karen is Karen. Yeah, you're right. That's when I read those books. Um, and Karen is Gideon is what I'm coming is what I'm coming to, <laughs> to find. Like she has one. Like I'm Ramona, and I've gone back inside my head, and I'm in like, and she's in Karen's in Gideon's <laughs> chair. So let's get into our thoughts on the books. Luke, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, like we said, we. I have all read these before and we've all watched the movies and we all I've written papers on Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> I have have I have shirts that I've sold for Scott Pilgrim. Many I have papers like plural papers. <laughs> <laughs> I think I actually have two papers of oh, wow. Scott Pilgrim. But yeah, no, it's just it's it's amazing. It's it's a really really great coming of age story that isn't uh focused on really the stereotypical like you know 16 or 17 year old it's an is an adult coming of age series and the art is amazing i'd love how it just evolved over time and just became better uh the story's really good in it is was able to accurately portray a very you know a very interesting topic about just finding your way in an adult world when you don't want to it was it's just great I just love it. Yeah. For me, <clears throat> I think on this read through, I found it a lot less like meaningful than I Agreed. had in the past. I totally and, agree. Yeah. I know Andre has a lot to say about that. So I'll leave that to him. But the thing that really uh, caught me on this read through is I hadn't reread them. I only read them once uh, almost 10 years ago by now. And I love the way that Brian Lee O'Malley's art style changes from the first page to the last page it's beautiful and volume six has uh two extra assistants and one of them was specifically responsible for screen tone and one of them was specifically responsible for uh, i think inking and backgrounds so that volume has a different aesthetic style but if you look at just one through five you can see a single like a single artist just his mind like revolutionizing on the page it's so wild uh, because everything about it, the way that he lays out his panels, the way that he like thinks about his characters, the way that he uses line, uh, line weight and negative space and just everything about the art. The first volume in retrospect is very, very rough. And I had kind of a tough time and not a tough time getting through it because 
I know it basically by heart because it's exactly in the movie and I've seen the movie 15 times. It's not exactly 100%. Um, it's like it's, 90. It's like 95. It's 98%. 95. Yeah. The the fight um, scene is different and basically that's it. <laughs> yeah. And there are like a few lines that are different. But yeah. Um, so that, that first volume, I was like, man, I hope the rest of the series isn't going to be like this. And then it gradually grew into something a lot more nuanced because of the way that he was able to change his storytelling uh, techniques. And I loved that so, so much. Um, so that's, I guess that's my overall. And then Andre, what about you? Yeah, I, um, I, I loved it. Like I love Scott Pilgrim. It has a really special place in my heart, no matter how much like it, no matter if I don't relate to it anymore, if I don't feel it anymore, like it's still always going to be the same thing to me, like what it meant to me when I read it eight years ago and what it did for me as a person. But, um, I'll just say that I love the book and I, I think that the style was really awesome. Like I really love the way that he like created this like video game-esque universe and I was just in for the ride and it was like this like rabbit hole experience where you're just like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's similar to the movie. Um, we're at, We'll talk about it in the movie, but I thought the movie was cool because he had the elements of comics and video games to play with in the movie. But um, I really love that style in the book and um, I also loved the way it captured this like little scene at a specific moment in time, like in the aughts before the teens where um, phones were just starting to happen. And like, like in the indie scene was like just becoming a thing right before it became a thing. He was really revolutionary in the whole like manic pixie dream girl idea where yeah. he had this like yeah. really crazy cool character. And then this, this like kind of mediocre main character falls in love with her. Um, and it, and in that, but it worked in his work because it was like, that's kind of the point. Um, and I thought that that was really cool too. And I, I just love the characters. The characters were so solid, but it didn't land the same. I don't know why I, I hate to say this. I don't want to be negative, but like, I just didn't, it didn't, wasn't as meaningful to me. Like I agree with you, Nick, like the art got way better. Um, and it still was a great experience to read. Like I, I, I kept reading till the end, like, like, like glued to the pages, but it's just like, maybe because it meant so much initially to me, like rereading it, like it didn't mean anything to me. I don't know what it, I don't know what it was like. Like it wasn't relatable anymore to me, but like the message is kind of universal. So that doesn't make much sense. I don't know if it was Scott because like Scott was unbearable to, to like follow in the books. Um, I don't know what it was, but it, it didn't land as like it, like it did the first time. Um, but well, it was still me, great. For me, it didn't land, uh, I guess, in a very meaningful way for me, even the first time. I remember reading the books and I remember thinking like the first three are okay, but like the movie's better uh, for the first three. That's what I thought back then. We'll talk later. Uh, and I also uh, in the, the latter three, I was like, yeah, that's where it gets like really like meaningful. And I that's, think that's back true though. and I read these in like 2010, 2011. And that was at a time in my comic book reading where I hadn't read much besides superhero comics. Ah. And so, I mean, I had other comics that I read when I was younger. Uh, I read Bone. I read, like, the stuff that was in Disney Adventures and Nick Magazine and stuff. But, um, yeah, my, my main exposure to this type of comic, I just didn't have any. Um, it wasn't even until, like, maybe three or four years ago that I started getting into other, like, full graphic novels like that are released as one book uh, mm -hmm. by one creator. Um, so yeah, in that sense, I think it was just revolutionary to me because it was new. 
Um, whereas today I look at it and I think I'm able to be a lot more balanced and see a lot more of its flaws and mm-hmm. shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I, I, one of the things that really like got me was how shallow the arcs felt. I remember yeah, when I yeah. first read it, I was like, um, it was so mega deep, like, oh wow, like so much meaning, just like you said in the last three volumes, which yes, if we're being objective, like they are the more meaningful, quote unquote, meaningful volumes, but um, there's like a level of shallowness to them that is like hard to escape when you're trying, when you're expecting a meaningful experience. I think one of the reasons it landed so well the first time was because I wasn't expecting it to be meaningful. I was expecting it to be just a fun ride. And all of a sudden there's like a punch in volume four and you're like, whoa, like this is more than just a fun story. There's actually something that's happening here um, to tell to give, there's something that's going to give me beyond the entertainment value. And um, this time around, I know what it meant to me initially and I was, and I was able to expect that and it didn't land as much because the things that I needed to take away from it then aren't the things that I needed to take away from it now. Um, so I didn't experience it the same. I had a different perspective and I guess that's just in general, anything you consume um, with like such a huge time gap in between reconsuming it. Um, there's just, you're going to be a different person when you, whether you read, watch or whatever the thing that you're experiencing and it's just not going to be the same. And that's not like about the work. It's about like who you are when you're reading it. It doesn't make it any less, less good, any less um, effective. It's just different, you know? So yeah. it's, it's hard to, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I wasn't ready to not be la- like, m- like m- I wasn't ready to not be like moved by the book. But, but with that said, I do, I did feel super nostalgic reading it in a special way. Um, not just for myself, but from like the nostalgia of the book. There's a lot of nostalgic yeah. like feelings in the book in general. Yeah. And on that note, um, does this sort of bring back those feelings of being in this kind of culture? Because I think all of us were like in that culture. We all uh, were in bands in high school. Yeah. Uh, and we <laughs> like played at the kinds of places that they play in the book. And like, we just, we know these personalities and just this culture. Uh, and for me, that was, that was something that I really loved about it mm-hmm. was seeing it depicted uh, in a way that like partially made fun of it, but partially like loved it. And I feel yeah. like that's a very nostalgic way of looking at things. Like you look back and you're like, God, that was stupid. But at the same time, you're like, but I had a good time. Yeah. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Yeah. I, I totally, totally got that exact feeling. I think one of the things about it too, is when, when this book, the characters are all in their twenties, there's a certain like mystification of like the early to mid 20 year old that this book has that is perfect for a high schooler. Because when yeah. I read it, I was yes. 16 and I was like, wow, this is what 20 being 20 means. You are in a band and you go to parties. So I live <laughs> that fake young twenties, mid twenties lifestyle as a high schooler thinking that like, I'm going to be like that. Not that I thought that, but you know, like I was like, I was entranced by it, you know, like I was glued by it. Like I, it and made we also me sort of like missed the satirical elements. <laughs> and I miss it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And then looking back now that we're all older than the characters, yeah. Yeah. we're like, oh, wow, that was dumb. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I'm like, I'm like, wait, first of all, like, you guys are like 22. Like, it's like, there's like, this, it's so funny. Like the way that you are portrayed is so ironically, like you're not supposed to have anything to like, it's like, it portrays it. Like we have our life together. We're in our 20. It's almost like that, you know, like the TV show movie, like these young 20, 20, 20 year olds doing cool stuff. It's almost, it's almost satirizing that 
idea like in popular culture and in in pop in like me- media of like the cool 20 year old that has their shit together because slowly <laughs> and slowly we find out that they have nothing together nobody has nothing together kim goes yeah. back to living with her parents and it's like yeah, a huge yeah. culture shock for everyone i was shocked i was like oh my god kim was so cool i thought kim had everything <laughs> going for her you know so it's like it's like that whole like it's like changing that idea of this like character like this young 20 year old character in media and making it more real and i missed those elements when i was younger because i was i was like fetishizing that as a a young child like i want to be like that i want to be cool you know and um and and now i'm like i'm now i'm 24 and i'm like you guys are fucking losers like that's what i thought (laughs) well andre i have to say that uh uh this is what I experienced in my 20s, and you're just lame. So uh, I did I did go to parties. I did. Uh, I go to parties too. So that's, <laughs> I did go to that. shows. That's not I, what we're saying. I, we're I, do saying- know, I do know multiple people that are now living at home with their parents. <laughs> no, I, no, Luke, let me rephrase no, no, that. I'm, I'm wanna, joking, yeah. No, I know, because like I, I just want to make it clear for the audience. Like That's not like I ha- lived that too, but w- there's a certain level of, in this book, of glory that is associated to us not having our shit together. I still kind of live that in many ways. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, just like Scott, I relate to that. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I I may seem like I know what the fuck I'm doing, but I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And I think that this book, it satirizes like the idea of like these characters who are in their young twenties and are just like, got it all going on for them. Like they had their cool kids. They're in a band, they're friends. They have this great group of friends. When in reality, everyone just doesn't know who they are, what they're doing. Because when you're in your twenties, like you don't really know what you're doing. I just think that, that was something that I loved about the second half of the books mm-hmm, is when you started realizing like all of their lives are such messes and Scott is such an idiot that he doesn't even see any of it. Like yeah. all yeah. of a sudden I loved how every time that you see every character, they're at like a different point in understanding themselves, but Scott's oblivious to it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like Steven, uh, this went hundred percent over my head when I was, 16 and like uh still closeted i I didn't understand my sexuality Mm -hmm. um but like his journey in those last three volumes of understanding his sexuality understanding that he's gay uh i thought it was just like a last page reveal because that's when scott finds out but no that that was like built up to throughout the whole second half of the book yeah um i love that so much and then and and you don't and you don't realize that until your second read you through when you're years and years older yeah. because then you go oh wait no i expect that's you know i experienced these things therefore i can see it instead of you know just like like you said having it revealed to you right at the end with you know yeah yeah and then it goes back to what andre was saying the same thing is with kim uh and young neil like young Neil goes through this whole thing where like, we don't even really know what he's going through, but we yeah. know that he's growing up. Yeah. 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 No, I think Kim was the shock for me. Cause like, it was like Kim hands down the best character in the novel. After, like maybe oh, yeah. like maybe after Wallace, but she, she like is the one that seems to have everything together. Like no matter what, like, you know, she works at a video store, you know that like she, you know that she hates her roommates, but like, she seems like she knows what she's about and she's been through shit. And she, but like in volume four and volume five, she's like, I don't know. I'm going back to live with my parents. I just don't know what I'm doing with my life. And it's like, that's what we're all experiencing, isn't it? So, so, um, reading it as a 20 year old, as a mid 20 year old, um, I just, I relate with that aspect and I don't relate with the whole glorifying like 20, because that's what he meant. 
because Brian Lee O'Malley wrote this when he was at like around our age, right? So like he he yeah, he, he was knew the reality older than the characters. Uh, yeah. He wrote it. I think he started when he was twenty five, and he finished when he was thirty. So, what do you guys think of the central conceit of the books? Um, because it definitely landed in a different way for me now that I understand how relationships work um, <laughs> in a way that I didn't when I was 16. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just how the idea of when you date somebody, you have to like symbolically fight all of the exes that they've had in the past. Um, I love that. I love, love how that it idea. takes that yeah. and then yeah. just makes it real. <laughs> like, yeah, why not? Why not fight him in a video game shonen manga kind of way? Uh, in like increasing stakes with every new X. Yeah, I totally yeah. love that. I, I yeah. love the conceit. It's a, it's original. I've never, I've really never seen that done before. Like honestly, it's it's really really good. I, I, I love those, it. It's one of those ideas that truly is strong enough to sustain a six volume, six year series. Yeah, yeah. yeah the the fact that it was six volumes and not you know two or three really really shows that. And they're all interesting, like you said. Brian Lee O'Malley does such a good job at kind of establishing where the story is at in every single volume. And then, like, on the first page, it, you know, shows the characters, what they do, what they're going through right now, what age they are. Knives Chow, 17 years old. Uh, oh, we got to talk about that. It it really... <laughs> I, I really think that you could just grab any volume and be able to get a complete story out of it in a way. Absolutely. You're yeah. so right about that. You could pick up volume three and be like, oh yeah, no, this is going on. Or volume four, it's like, oh, Scott and Ramona are fighting. What are they fighting about? Oh, the exes. Oh, there's robots. Blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, the conceit was great, Nick. So going off of that, Luke, what was your guys' favorite volume? Let's all say our favorite volumes and then I'll give a quick like one sentence synopsis of what each one was. Okay, so Luke. My favorite was the last one, volume six. Okay, Andre? My favorite volume was four. Okay, and mine was five. So, oh. Yeah, so four was the one where it took place over the summer, and we learn about uh, Scott's romantic past with Lisa, uh, or semi-romantic past. Uh, and, yeah, it, it it's also when- about the friends uh, coming together and all being, m- like, more of one big friend group. Uh, but at the same time, everybody started going off on their own individual journeys. Uh, mine, my favorite one, volume six. Oh, Andre. Yeah, that one. Volume four was also one with Roxy. Yeah. Uh, so it had the lesbian plot uh, and significant amount of gay stuff. Um, <laughs> volume five was the one with the Kadeyanagi twins and there were all the robot fights. Uh, there were a lot of parties. Personally, I felt like that was the one where... Uh, Brian Lee O'Malley's art style as a solo artist was at its peak. And uh, Luke, volume six, was the one with Gideon. And um, Gideon was the final boss. So it it felt a lot like a uh, like a final volume of a shonen or like uh, the end of a video game where there's just increasing action stakes and things get crazier and crazier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, Luke, you can speak on that. Yeah, so no, I, ju- I just liked how... Well, it, in I I do understand how Volume Five looked artistically the best because there were so many you know great like locations and people and costumes and you know, but uh, I think just Volume Six Six looked the best. Um, it was really 
the time where because it's the last volume, everything got wrapped up. He went on his wilderness sabbatical. He realized that he was, that everything, actually because of Gideon, everything that he thought of his past, so like his relationship with Kim, his relationships with like his other other exes, you know, it was all fake or just what he believed it was when that actually wasn't true. Yeah, and his then, mind uh, had sort of changed things so that he would always be the hero or the yeah, victim. Yeah, and it and it, it really cemented that he was not a good person. And that's really sort of when he realizes, oh, hey, I'm not a good person. Do I even deserve this girl? You know, stuff like that. But And then I just love Wallace where he's like, well, you got to fight him. Even though even though you two aren't dating anymore, you got to fight him. And it's like, why do I have to fight him? I don't want to fight him. And then he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I want to fight him. Let's do this. And then just like, I I thought it, it was fun. Volume five was my fave. I pretty much explained why. Mostly because of the art stuff. Um, it just, his storytelling was so good by that point that I feel like every page if not every panel had like a deeper meaning besides just the action that was being portrayed, which you didn't see in the earlier books. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I feel that. like in the first two, maybe three books, uh, there was a lot of like talking heads and sitting around and there wasn't a lot of nuance, but then by the time you got to volume five, just the way that he, uh, the way that he laid out the page, but also the way that he like drew the quote unquote camera angle of each panel uh, the way that he positioned things in a frame, uh, the way that he would like, he basically had two or three different levels of detail that he would draw his characters in depending on their mental state. So many things like that were just so cool. Um, and yeah, the costumes and, oh, that was also the volume where we like really learned about Kim and uh, yeah, yeah, Kim and her like, she's still not loves Scott in the romantic sense, but she still loves him in a way, even though she thinks that he's insufferable in a lot of ways. And you can just see her, her conflict. And uh, I love, I love that so much. I think that Kim is definitely the most complex character in the book. Uh, There was a scene in volume two where it's like a three page scene where you can just see that she lives in a terrible situation with her roommates and she hates them. And then she just works at a video store. And for some reason, those three pages just endeared me so deeply to her. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel the same way. I, Kim is like my favorite character. Like Kim and Wallace are my favorite characters in the books, and and um and I really love that book too. I, I like yeah. four because um of all the ones of all the books, four is the one that made me feel the most nostalgic. Like that nostalgic feeling. There was like this summer relaxed vibe to the book that was really like captivating to me. Yeah, and I love that. I've heard in interviews, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley, I'm pretty sure it was him, uh, described that as like that one perfect summer where all of your friends from like who over the years, they've all gone separate ways and then they all happen to be in town the same summer together. And you're all like that. It was beautiful. He fucking nailed it. He nailed it. Yeah, it it totally is that. I I love the I love that that feeling. And, And then I love how by the end of the book, everything starts falling apart slowly. And I, I thought that that was really great setup for the next few books. And um, I just, I loved, I loved all of it. It was actually the book where um, you started to see how much of a dick Scott was. 
Um, so you were started to understand further, like how Scott was just not a great person. Cause up until that point, it's been kind of like, you kind of didn't know that he was not a good person. You kind of just kept being told that by like Kim and like, by like random things happening. But like, that was the book where you started to actually starting to see like Scott's perception of what happened in the past is not exactly what happened in the past. You started to see the characters and like how they all saw Scott and how they saw each other. I really loved it. Like they're like, I'm, I'm looking at it right now and there's like this beautiful panel where it's like that two page spread where they're all at that dinner table before Lisa goes out of town and um, back to the US and they're all like just hanging out and you see all their personalities there. I'm just like, there was like super, there's like a super nostalgic feeling to that. And I, I, I really love that. And then of course, um, I, I think she's the most, I think Roxy is probably not the most popular evil ex, but I, I think, I thought that she was, I think that she's awesome. She's so funny. She's such a great character. So yeah. I loved I love that book all around. Adding on to what you said, Andre, uh, Volume Four was also the one with Knives' dad. Did you yes. like that? Oh, I finally I, got to see some some depth to that story. <laughs> I I wish I I do wish that they had Knives' dad in the movie, but I do understand why it wasn't essential. Uh, yeah. They they actually did uh, have a Knives' dad part in the video game, which uh, was it's actually like one of my favorite levels, but. It it was a like just just the ending where like the dad walks into a room and says like I guess it's okay for you dating a white boy or you know something like that and it's like so sincere and then she's just like I don't know what you're saying you're saying saying something in Chinese I don't know I don't, I don't speak Chinese and it's just that. so yeah. funny that yeah. panel of him giving his blessing was so good because uh he's like he's in the doorway but he's not looking into the room so he's yeah. like looking to the side and then he's his speech bubble is in chinese but then there's like subtitles on the bottom i love that and that was so funny. that was so good yeah i, I <laughs> yeah. agree yeah and actually i'm looking at it now and i'm realizing that that volume ends very positively it like is just like like it and it's through and through that nostalgic summer like that 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 special summer so you, re- you only start seeing seeds of things falling apart, but you don't really see things falling apart until volume five. So yeah. uh, I just wanted to re- re- clarify that. But um, yeah, yeah that, 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 I'm excited to play that video game, Luke. That game looks fun. It's very, very fun. It's coming out soon-ish. So was your evil ex your favorite one in the book? Like the one that you got in the book? Because for me, it wasn't. My favorite evil ex was not Roxy, even though I really like Roxy. Yeah, who was it? Um, I love Todd. <laughs> Todd is fucking funniest. <laughs> Honestly, I think, I think that uh, Todd is oh. my favorite too. Yeah, he's too good in, in in the movie and in the comics because in the comics he he's like so much deeper than like you expect him to be, especially because that's where the movie and the book start like like diverging a lot. And but I, I love say, Todd is the one. Uh, he's the vegan. He's the bassist player. for the Clash at Demon Head. Yeah, I, I love it in the book because you get to see him intertwine with um, Envy's storyline. And I really loved Envy's background. Like I love, I loved Envy character in the book a lot. Um, and, um, and I love like the whole, their fight sequences. Like first they went to that like crazy store, which is like a total inside joke for people in Toronto. And then like they both went <laughs> berserk and then Todd went batshit after that experience. And that was just too funny for me. Cause it's like, you have probably the most badass evil ex and he couldn't like, like his fight sequence was, him going to like the store and then him like, it was too good. I thought it was hilarious. And then the vegan police, <laughs> fucking best. I'm so glad they kept that in the movie. It was so good. Yeah, there, there, there were so many things in the comic that were changed in the movie, but it's just because there's no way that they could have done it in the movie. Like yeah. having some crazy, like... Making Honest Ed's implode. 
Yeah. (laughs) I don't even know what Honest Sites is, but I'm like, yeah. It's it's a giant discount store. It's sort of, we don't have these here, but it's like an Ollie's um, where they just, it's all of the overstock from every other, I guess it's sort of like TJ Maxx, but like bigger, uh, less organized and just crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I I figured it was something like that. And and I, I really felt like he he was also my favorite too if it wasn't obvious he he just felt like the most normal of the exes where it's like okay we're gonna like where, when are you free are we gonna are we gonna plan this now what are we gonna do are we gonna fight are we gonna do this are we gonna yeah. do that oh, like that part of the story was so good and then he stood right. up they were like well we gotta go fight him and it's like yeah why do we have to go and it's like all right i don't want to go and then they'd be like yeah, where were you dude like I'm, i was ready to fight you yeah 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 and it's just like we're like okay in the in the movie or in the in the video game it's just like a, a fight in the you know in, in behind the the venue but it's still it was so yeah. good the one thing so I will say and, is that he also was the most developed i think x outside of gideon of course <clears throat> because of envy uh, i think that like we spent yeah. a very little time on the first two very little time on roxy yeah, because the the whole envy and todd stuff was being built up in the second half of volume two and most of volume three yeah yeah yeah, so it was it was it was really good. I really like that you got to see this deeper side to the evil ex. Like you almost felt bad for him because you could tell that his whole situation was he had a bad father kind of thing and he became a dick because yeah. of that. At the same time, he is just a cocky cock. He is just a cock. He's just a cocky cock. <laughs> <laughs> if you knew the science, I, I, I fucking love yeah. that. <laughs> Maybe if you knew the science, I'd listen to a word you're saying. Um, I want to talk for a little bit more about envy uh, before we close out the segment. Mm-hmm. Um, not just Envy, but also the backstories for Kim and Lisa. Uh, we've like hinted at what we all thought about these. But um, yeah, what do you think of those backgrounds? Because for me, Envy's, that one didn't really hit. I feel no. like all the backgrounds yeah. that yeah. we got on Envy, it was just expanding on the two sentences that we knew about her. And we didn't actually learn anything more. Yeah. Uh, but then... It, it kind of just felt more like a we're going to have all this backstory for envy so that when at the end, when she forgives him and he forgives her kind of sort of, but not really, it feels like closure and we understand why these things happen, but not really. I, I, it, I like envy's character for me was like, um, I totally agree with you, Nick and Luke. Um, but then I like, by the end of the book, like I actually realized that like we didn't really get to see her side of the, her journey, so so like yeah. they didn't land because yeah. of that. So I, did I actually like that. appreciated that more. Um, yeah, and I feel like part ended. of that was, uh, I think it was partially set up, but I also think that part of it was just Brian Lee O'Malley like stumbling into it by accident. Yeah, and then kind of like a lot of different ways. Yeah, and he had like better storytelling instincts by the end, so he was like, "Oh, I can take this thing that I did in the beginning and like flip it and make it better." Yeah, no, I agree, but it, it worked. It did work because she just wasn't a present in the book a lot, so there was no real need to go deeper. I thought he, I thought he handled that pretty well, even if it was an accident. He stumbled upon it. Yeah, when it comes to Lisa, um, her background whatever. with Scott, yeah, it was yeah. more like she was sort of a bystander during Scott and Kim's relationship, and then it turned out that she always had feelings for him, and those were like dramatically revealed one night when Scott had to stay at her ho- house. I, I, I thought Lisa's storyline like was kind of I thought that out of all the secondary characters, her storyline was like the most like 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 I just didn't buy it. 
she conveniently appears like when we need some conflict in the relationship in the one yeah. volume where everything's going right. We needed something to go wrong. And she just happened to be at that mall that one day and Scott was sitting there, you know? So I, I didn't, I didn't love Lisa's character to be, to be honest. Um, I, I didn't even think she like really elevated a lot of stakes in Scott and Ramona's relationship, even though like there was this concern that Scott was cheating on Ramona. Like I felt like it was so like not real, especially when the whole time like Ramona was like thinking about Gideon. So it's, yeah, it was messy, but like, I don't know. I didn't think, I think out of all characters, I thought hers was probably the weakest. Mm-hmm. I but really then lo- Kim. Kim's yeah, the I best. think we can all agree. Yeah. Uh, we, we really talked about Kim already, but yeah, but I also I really like, a- I, I wish that there was more, I wanted more with Me Kim. Too. I wanted more with the backstory. If yeah. if they if they combined Kim and Lisa's backstory, like no, because Kim will lose value. Like, Kim will lose well, value. No, no. Make I, I'm not. I'm not talking about like you know Kim romantic. being like Lisa and stuff like that. Oh, Just like use those, use those use those pages that he devoted to Lisa, oh. which were like some of the not best. Yep. And like, have them be in some situation by accident where it seems like there's some sexual tension, and then Ramona sees it or something like that. No, man. Part, like, of, part of Kim's amazingness was her not giving a fuck about Scott, and I think yeah. that that <laughs> Just, relationship I, with Ramona and Le- Ramona and and Kim in the book was really cool to see. I wish I hadn't seen yeah. more of it. I kind of agree with you, but I wish that it wasn't about Scott. I wish there was just remove the Lisa pages and just add Kim pages and like no Scott at all. So that way mm-hmm. we just know what's happening. But, yeah. <laughs> Kim and Lisa just, just make a whole go book to the mall. Make a whole book about Kim. Come on. Listen, uh, you can you can you can play Kim in the video game. So. I, I loved Wallace, even though he was always just one thing. But like, I think that's what makes yeah, him special. We, he was always. Yeah. We didn't really constant. talk about Wallace. Dude, Wallace is the best. And I, I, he was he was he was Scott's cheerleader, best friend, person like who who like actually talked sense into him, but was also the person who like was fun and was like, Scott, don't take yourself too seriously. This is all bullshit. We're all in the book. You know? He was also yeah. older than all of the other characters. Older than all the other characters, like and you could years. tell. Yeah. yeah, and you could tell because he was definitely had this like, even though he was still like wild and crazy, like he still had this like level of maturity that was like he had a different perspective than the he than had they a did. job. He had a job. <laughs> Like a real job. A like job. it wasn't like a, yeah. And yeah. then he had and then, an apartment that Scott yeah. basically was squatting in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I liked him because he just didn't really, you didn't really need to know much more than what you saw because he was like really like established, you know who he was, you know? And I, I thought that that was cool having, I thought having Scott having somebody who knew what the fuck was going on was nice, like dynamic because Scott had no fucking clue what was going on at all, you know? So I love, I loved Wallace. Um, yeah. And I'm also always to- down for uh, a straight character and gay character being close friends. Yeah, I, yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, we got to talk about knives, guys. Like, I, I'm sorry, okay. knives was a gag in the book, and I thought <laughs> yeah. it was yeah. funny as fuck. Like, w- with admittedly, it was funny as fuck. Every time that knives appeared, knives, seventeen years old, seventeen years old, That's every <laughs> single time. It was very funny. I admit that, but it was weird. Like, it was. I thought it was weird that that was like a gag. You know, <clears throat> I know it was like a way to show that. Scott was a bad person in the beginning, but like it almost was like it was just supposed to be funny. Like that, guys, it wasn't meant to be more yeah. than that. And I, I feel watched- like that doesn't land the same today. And I, I'm sure yes. that the author would agree. Yeah, he does. Uh, because number one, that was 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, number two, uh, <sighs> not that it was okay back then, but not that it was anyway. okay back then. Um, yeah. He did an Instagram like 
live commentary where he flipped through the first volume and just gave like thoughts on stuff. Mm-hmm. And when he opens the the book, one of the first things he said was, well, this is not how you want to start a book in 2020. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, uh, he was saying like that he, he thought it was funny when it happened. Like, and he still thinks it's kind of funny. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he said he also kind of thinks that a lot of the people who complain so much about it are people who hadn't actually read the books. Uh, and like Scott, like it was done because he wanted to show that Scott is like just this immature man, baby. And, uh, that's it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be malicious condone. Yeah. The situation. No, no, and, And you totally get that. Like, like you totally get that. Um, I just think that like, it just, in the movie, they did a really good job of making that mean something like knives character in the movie was amazing and they really utilized her well, in my opinion. Um, but it, it with some caveats, but, but in the book, I felt like it just was this running gag and I really wish it went somewhere like meaningful. But then in the end, yeah. like they were had that special, that final conversation between Scott and, and knives when she's 18. Um, and you think like, Oh, this is going to be the moment where everything is nice. Um, Scott kisses her like without her asking, mm-hmm. which I was like, ah, like, no. Yeah, that was also, but I thought that was actually good because it should not, <laughs> for what it showed for uh knives to be able to say nope yeah like, no her her she has grown to the point where she now has the agency uh and like understanding and maturity to be like no that's a bad idea i, I agree then, yeah. i like that i do but yeah. it doesn't feel like um it, it doesn't feel like it was worth it with all like the she's a, she's yeah. a minor she's a minor She's a minor. Like, it's like, uh, it was funny, but it was like, you got to really take it with like a grain of salt. It was hard to appreciate it completely, you know? (laughs) And maybe that's just one of those things that doesn't age and we just have to accept it. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, on that note, I didn't mean to say, uh, make a pun just then. So did you guys feel like the book as an overall narrative, all six volumes taken as one unit, do you think that that worked as one complete story? Maybe back in the day. Yes. And maybe if I hadn't read the, I hadn't watched the movies or played the game and stuff like that but no i don't think so i think besides the fact that there's a definite ending with them jumping through the door and wanting to start again uh and like the bad guy is dead it's a great it's a beautiful ending i I love those last like five pages but it It was an ending that was actually inspired by the movie because they started production on the movie midway through uh when o'malley was making volume two uh Oh, they started pre-production. But anyway, we'll talk more about that. Okay. And yeah, just like it it does f- like like Andre was saying how Scott changes but not really and he could have been better and Ramona still has her problems and stuff like that and everyone still has their issues. But then I know you don't like this Andre, but I do kind of like that in a way when a story ends and people aren't 100% changed or fixed or better because that's yeah. kind of just not that that's the sort of realism that i like in things because if you go through something like that you're you might change but you're not a completely different person but it 
in a story like this with those like fantastical elements, it maybe would have been nice to have something I feel nicer, that. I guess. Andre? Yeah, um I, I, I think um I think the narrative I'm kind of halfway between Luke and, and the opposite. It, I, I think that it pretty much felt complete. Like it, it felt like, it felt like we got to the end. And I think part of that is just by the design because of the structure of like, we finally beat the last boyfriend. So we're done. Right. Mm -hmm. So it did feel complete in that sense. Um, I felt like the character journeys weren't complete. I do agree with you <laughs> that. I think, I think that um, having all the characters kind of like still have their problems that now they have to deal with from their new perspective. I feel like that would have been, that, that was a really cool way to end it because like, life isn't clean. Like people don't just snap and change. Like I, I really did like that. I, I, I really did enjoy that. Um, the thing that I didn't love is that I felt like Brian Leo Malley um, didn't really like make a, didn't really say anything with that, like with, with any of that. Like it kind of just like fell flat for me at the very end. For me with the, I think just the fact that we're talking about like the first three volumes versus the last three volumes, I think that shows a certain cohesion between both of those. Um, and I think that shows that he did a better job of creating one big story than we might realize because each volume had its main plots. Uh, it had even its subplots, but I think that there were tertiary plots that ran through the whole thing. And I think that's mainly what we talk about when we say the, the secondary character journeys. Um, and I think that those really helped to put a bow on things and create a stronger through line where it might not have been so strong if that stuff wasn't there. So Andre, you read these in color and Luke and I've read them in black and white. Um, and uh, Andre, how did that change the experience for you? Um, I love the coloring Um, Nathan fair Baron, whatever his name was. He did an awesome job. Um, I thought that it added a lot more depth to the art, um, which is, you know, not fair because like you, it's a different kind of depth than when you're doing black and white. Um, but I, I thought it added a lot. I think that it, it was done after the fact. And I think the main concern would be like, it didn't need color, but I think that he does a really good job showing us how color can enhance that storytelling experience. Um, there's a lot of scenes in book five, um, book four with Lisa, for example, that I was just like, damn, like that coloring, that lighting for this mood changes some things in, in terms of how I feel. Um, the Gideon fight scene in, in book six was so um, like awesome. And the other thing I really liked about the color books was that um, at the very end of book six, you get a note from Nathan where he tells you what he did and how he did it and why he did it. And he kind of goes over his process. And it was really, really cool to see um, how much he respected the material and um, how he really tried his best to not change anything in terms of like how it felt. And I think he did a good job. I think that in book, yeah. like where I felt his color really hit the most was book four, the most magical book of the series where I was like this like fake summer that like no one ever really experiences. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and it had this like colorful, like, like pop at like, like, like dreamy aesthetic to it that he executed so well. And it added to that exact feeling that Brian Leo Malley was trying to execute. So mm -hmm. he did a really good job. I think it's worth reading it. Like, I really think it's worth reading it if you're a fan if anything, just skimming through it and just appreciating it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, and that's, that's what I did as I, I read them in black and white, but then I looked through the digital versions of the color ones. And I, I feel like I'm sort of mixed. 
I feel like the first three volumes benefit a lot from having that color just because O'Malley was a much less experienced artist. Before making Scott Pilgrim the first volume, he had only done one graphic novel and he had also drawn uh, a like four issue miniseries of a comic. Mm -hmm. So like he has so much more pages (laughs) in Scott Pilgrim. And so obviously, as I've been saying, he grows. Um, So in those first few volumes, I think all the rough art is really helped by the mood that Fairbairn brings to the art. Yeah, I can uh, see that. At the same time, though, I feel like adding color takes away from the uh, the expert use of black and white, uh, like and negative space and stuff in the later volumes. Uh, I can see which that. Is where, yeah, which is where O'Malley was like really, really getting it in terms of comic storytelling. Um, I, I, I can and, totally see that. I agree with that. Yeah. And it added another layer of like emotion and stuff, but I feel like it wasn't necessary. And I feel like it also took away from the layers that O'Malley already had in his art. It it definitely added a layer that wasn't necessary. I I think that you're being a purist when you say that it took away because (laughs) I don't think it took away. Like I, 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 I experienced it. Like I was able to see myself reading it when I was younger, while I was reading this, like I had the same moods throughout the entire book, like that I did when I was back in high school, like that experience was the same. Like it wasn't like when I mean, um, take away, I don't mean that it's, uh, that it's removing anything from O'Malley's art. I mean that it's, it's duplicating the feelings. So it comes through in the color and it comes through the art. I think that it's worth reading. I, at the very least, I think it's worth skimming through to see what the colorist did. I, I definitely think it's cool. It was definitely yeah, cool. I think for most people, especially if you're coming from the movie, you love the movie and you want to read the books, I think the color version is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're someone who just loves comics and comic art, which I know is a much smaller percentage of people, <laughs> um, but if you're if you're <laughs> like me, then I recommend the black and white ones. Yeah, especially from the manga perspective. Yeah, like if you're the type of person who prefers to read Bone in black and white versus color, then you're the type of person who would prefer to read Scott Pilgrim. It's funny because like Bone is my first comic I ever read and I only read the Scholastic color version. So maybe that's like me. I've just been aware of that. I've been in that world (laughs) for too long because Bone color is so different than Bone black and white. It's worth reading also the color versions, if anything, for the very like back pages where Brian Lee O'Malley, every single book talks about like his character design, talks about his art, especially you would love it. I don't know if you got to oh, see those, Nick. But you were talking yeah, about how I, you I read all of it. Yeah, it's so <laughs> fucking awesome. I read every single um, one of them too. That stuff uh, is only in the single volume color version. So there's oh. there's a three volume color version, which is like two in ones. Those don't have the extras. Oh, oh. yeah. So yeah. you got to so find So you would those. need like the more expensive hardcover. Uh, I would suggest volume. getting those or like getting the digital version <laughs> like I read but because like that 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 was worth that that really was worth it for me dude seeing the the photos of the actual um buildings that he was trying to paint like he would go out and take yeah. photos of it like oh. I'm like dude this is awesome like this guy like this this book was like a love letter to Toronto if anything if if it wasn't yeah. anything it was a love letter to Toronto from Brian Lee O'Malley that was it yeah and, and in the in the uh, commentary thing that he did for the first volume, um, it was through Instagram Live, he talked about that. And there was a point where he was talking about how the movie has an arcade, but he didn't put an arcade in the book. And he was like trying to come up with a reason for it. And then eventually he was like, oh, yeah, it's just because there are no arcades in Toronto. And I was just trying to be realistic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that about wraps up the book discussion. We're going to take a break and then we'll be back to discuss the movie. 
podcast listeners, we're the hosts of the DC3 cast. I'm Zach. I'm Vince. And I'm Brian. Each week, we discuss most of the new releases from DC Comics, focusing mainly on Rebirth, Wildstorm, and Young Animal. We also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, my no wife, bad Dendidio impressions, this is bad, what the f***, and an in-depth look at DC each week, join us every Wednesday morning at multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get Jurgens with us. Welcome back. Time for the movie, guys. The movie. Yay. Okay, so this movie is titled Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which was actually the title of the second graphic novel. The movie was directed by Edgar Wright, who the bomb. I think I have said many times on this show is my favorite director. He's the bomb.com. It was written by Michael Bacall and Edgar Wright and based obviously on the books by Brian Lee O'Malley. Oh, and it was released in August of 2010. The cast is a star-studded one. It's insane. And we'll it's talk wild. all about that. How they have like the like the best cast ever. Like that's that's wild. How did they how did they get Chris Evans? I know. So, <laughs> was he even that big back then? No, he, was. he wasn't. I guess, yeah. We can lead on this. Uh, so the casting was done by Allison Jones. Who's that? Who is, yeah, it's not a name that you really hear, but uh, she is a casting director and she's worked on things like Freaks and Geeks and uh, The Office and Parks and Rec. So she's responsible for bringing together like really unique and interesting personalities into a strangely cohesive ensemble. She is mm-hmm. a legend. Like she basically <laughs> takes talent that is not like she she finds talent essentially. She she finds superstars is what she does. And in this movie, a lot of these actors, like I, I think that they're all at different points in fame. Like Michael Sarah, uh, he was Probably. at the height of I'd say his career when yeah. this movie was first cast. So when this movie came out, I'd say he was like already on the backside of. Uh, his like the heights of his career unless yeah. he has a comeback nick don't disrespect him yeah. like that listen right. unless he like he, he becomes he the made new a, iron man he made a really great album a couple years ago <laughs> i wanted to hear true. that i love that album i love it so much and he's on criterion sometimes he does those like little featurettes where he'll show like what his favorite movies are oh really um, oh that's cool yeah yeah but allison jones is a badass oh my god like so she just had first of all i want to talk to her if she hears this how does she do this? Does she just like randomly like hold auditions or does she like go think, on like YouTube and like find like this person? They look like I've they're heard good. certain things. Like I've listened to office ladies podcast and they've talked about her. Um, and I, I've heard uh, Judd Apatow talk about uh, working with her and like on commentaries. And yeah, in all those cases, it sounds like she has like a Rolodex of just like people who she thinks are like really good and who she really wants to promote. And like when people come to her uh, with like character ideas, she'll just like pull out headshots and be like, this might be your guy. So, um, so, um, and then the, they do with, hold auditions. So the, the, the casting director's role um, for the audience, like what do they do Nick? Like they, uh, they do hold auditions and they work with the directors and producers to uh, achieve a balance of what will 
work creatively as well as what will probably sell. Uh, and they're also responsible for getting the right characterizations. Uh, and yeah, like I said, just working with the casting or working with uh, the directors and producers, because usually each of those people want something different and yet uh, maybe they can or can't agree. So it's the person who is responsible for casting. Gotcha. So let's just make this clear. She nailed it. She fucking nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> yeah. And going back to what I was saying, so Michael Sarah on, I'd say, backside of his career, but then someone like Brandon Routh, he was in like a dip of his career. He had done Superman, but like super, that Superman movie wasn't popular. And uh, after that, he became uh, the Adam on Legends of Tomorrow. And I'd say that like really rose his uh, his prominence in a lot of circles. Who was he? What? Who was he? He was What's Todd. He? Oh, Todd. Got it. And then uh, other people like Brie Larson, she was at the very beginning of her career, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, and then Aubrey Plaza was pretty, pretty popular. Oh, yeah, of Aubrey Plaza. This was I think she was cast in like probably around the first season of Parks and Rec. Wow. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's 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 kind of like preaching geeks in that way. It's funny that she worked on that, too, because it's like you got all these superstars right before they were they became legends like in the field. So I think it's really cool. Yeah. It's, and it and was really Chris cool. Evans. And Chris Evans. Chris yeah. What the fuck? Chris so Evans. It was, it was before he was Captain America, but after he had already been like in some teen heartthrob movies and he was the human torch in fantastic four that nobody liked. Yeah. But he, yeah. That's, he's still like, he was a, a, a known popular. name at the time. So yeah. I, I can't imagine like the call of like, Hey Chris, do you want to be in this movie that's based off of a, a, Canadian comic book series, like graphic novel, and he and he, pay, yeah, he pay, he played like the satirization of the character he ultimately kind of mm -hmm. becomes, even though he's like seen as a like cool guy as opposed to like that dude. What was he? Yeah. What was his character based off of him? Because that's really the only way that I could see that really being a thing. No, no, no. It was based off of uh, Tom Cruise. No. It's like a Tom was, Cruise kind of thing. It was based off of like more teen heartthrob type characters. So like in a way, yes, but not specifically him. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah it's really cool. It's cool seeing the table read. Um, I, I I didn't get a chance to see it because I didn't want it to spoil the movie since I hadn't seen it in so long. But that table read they did recently for the coronavirus relief, like, yeah. the, or I mean, no, sorry. It was just a 10 year anniversary, actually. Yeah, 10 But they did yeah. it online. Like, it's insane. Like every single person in that table read, like I saw like that photo that they did, like it's like all these like super popular people, like they started this movie when they were just like nobodies. And they were I think in their early twenties. So cool. yeah, yeah. I just think it's so cool. <laughs> I think it's so cool. They grew while Scott Pilgrim did not. <laughs> hey. Nice. So what were you guys overall thoughts? I think that We've all seen this movie multiple times, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Yes. No, I've only seen yeah. it. I've only seen it. Um, I've seen it three times total. Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've literally lost track, and I cannot tell you any other movies that I've seen so many times that I've lost track. There is one other piece of media that I have like seen or read that many times, Avatar. and that is Avatar: The Last. Yeah, Avatar. I thought. Yeah. And that's of it. Of course. And yeah, so this movie, like, that is my favorite TV show to me. I've always called this my favorite movie, but we'll get into that in a second. Luke, how many times have you seen this movie? Oh, Do you even know? I, I know for a fact that I watch it every single year. I watch it at least once okay. every single year. I love this movie so much. It's so fun. 
I I loved Edgar Wright before this with like he did like Shaun of the Dead and all those other movies and Hot Fuzz and stuff like that. And it's just so fun. The characters are perfect. I was trying to think last night when I was watching the movie who they could have casted for these roles if like Michael Ciro was busy doing Arrested Development or uh, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead was busy doing, I don't know, some other fucking movie or, you know, or <laughs> fucking Chris Evans and like yeah. or Aubrey Plaza, you know, any of these characters, any of these characters, even the characters that we don't really care about now that we, that are just like, you know, not as famous. It's perfect. They are perfect. And I, the story is such a unique telling of the comic while still staying true to it in its own special way. The music is amazing. It's so hard to listen to Scott like play that Ramona song um, for Ramona in the movie because all I hear is fucking Beck. Like yeah. it's, it, it, it's <laughs> like, gotten so ingrained in my head that it's like, it's Beck. Shut the fuck like, up, Michael Sarah. Beck, this is Beck. <laughs> Beck did the soundtrack of this weird well, yeah, indie and, and, movie. And then the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the hello yeah, again yeah. for... Dude, that song's fucking oh, that awesome. Metric. And like broken social, broken broken lab. social scene with anthems of a sixteen year old girl. That one part with knives, and yeah. it's just like oh, that was such a good oh, part, it's so good. Yeah. And even no, like, that soundtrack was amazing. And I love how they were actually able to get musicians to make original songs. Dude, Sex Above Bombs yeah. slaps like oh, yeah. hardcore. Yeah. Like they yeah. would be signed. They're Apparently, so good. According to one of the commentaries, I listened to the the director writer commentary, and um, yeah, they said that. Originally, they tried to hide the sex bob music because uh, it was going to be more like a joke that they were actually really bad. And so they'd be like, uh, they'd play a show and then like you wouldn't really hear it. And then like the next shot would be them being like, yeah, we rocked. Um, but it would always be a joke. But then uh, when the music started coming in, uh, they ended up like putting it more front and center because the music was so good. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I love this movie so much. I, it's I really, so good. I really liked the movie as well. I thought that it's like a beautiful masterclass on how to take seven, six fucking books and make it one. Like, I feel like the people who made Harry Potter movies, they should have <laughs> just like looked at this for like how to do it. Because like they took everything that was essential about the story. They accented, actually, I, I joked about Harry Potter, but like, obviously that's a joke. But I think that the people who made Sound and Voice needed to have like yeah. have yeah. a conversation yeah. with I people who made this. Because like, Unlike it's like they did the opposite of this, what Silent Voice did. Like Silent Voice took every little thing and then they made something that had no meaning because they were trying to um, please the fans. And um, in this movie, they took everything that mattered and they accented that. And then the some, and naturally some things got left behind. But like we don't get upset because of that. Like I don't know a single Scott Pilgrim fan who does not like the movies, like the movie, because it, they do such a good job making it true to the story. And in the process of doing that, what I love about the movie, in the process of making it six books in one movie, they remove so much fat that I thought it made gave me the clarity that I wanted as like a viewer. Like we were talking about Scott's storyline earlier in, in the book part. And you mentioned how Scott in the movie has no growth, Luke, but I actually completely disagree. I think Scott in the in the in the in the movie has a much clearer progression than he does in the book. I think in the book he keeps going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So much time spent on nothing happening to Scott that you forget what the fuck is happening to him emotionally. Whereas in the movie, you see a very clear arc, and it's just by design because it's a Universal Pictures movie, and um, they're not going to have like some 
character that doesn't have a very clear progression, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, and I think that it really suits the story very well because Scott's character is you see his emotional journey. You see him like want to give up at, at, by the time he fights Roxy. You see him fighting Gideon hesitantly. And then when he has that life, that chance to refight Gideon, which by the way, I love how instead of having him respond exactly where he was, where they did in the book, I love how they started him at the beginning of the level. Um, yeah, yeah. You saw that, you saw that growth so much clearer because like, he's like, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. Uh, knives, I cheated on you. I'm sorry. Like you, you saw that so clearly and you're like, you know what? Scott isn't the best, but he, he learned something, mm -hmm. you know? I also love how in the movie, like I was mentioning it slightly earlier is how the book had video games to like inspire, draw inspiration from. So it was like a video gamey graphic novel, but the movie they worked with the the video gamey feel of the book, but they also worked with graphic novel elements. Like a lot of moments in the movie was like split into panels, yeah. which I fucking yeah. love. I love like, it. Like yeah. it was so good. And then I love how they made the sound effects whenever like ding dong, they would be like ding dong, like written like yeah. it was a graphic novel. It's really interesting the way they took that and they made it like something, they used film, but they were inspired by those different mediums and they took the elements that they could to apply it into that medium. So I thought as a medium, like uh, the way that it it it, it uh, was translated was fantastic. And then the last thing I want to say is that I really, um, I started watching the movie. I like this. I like the pacing of the movie a lot. I felt like the movie's pacing was Oof. so tight. At first I thought, thought it was kind of fast. I remember like we were at boyfriend number two and I was like, Ew, this is moving so fast. Like, I don't know how I feel about it, but then I blinked my eyes and, and the movie was over and it was in a good way. I, I was completely entranced. There was a point in between the second and third acts where I was completely down the rabbit hole with the movie that I lost all concept of time and I felt very magical. By the end of the movie, I was like, damn, like I completely forgot about the pacing. I completely forgot about the fact that we were going on this journey. I was just there. And, and, and I just experienced it. And I, I, I think that that's a, I, whenever that happens to me with a movie, I'm always like, that's a good sign that the movie is good. I don't even think about what's happening. I'm just experiencing it. Um, even though I've seen it, because this is my second, third time seeing it. So I was, I was able to be more analytical while I watched. Um, I completely forgot to be analytical at that point in the movie. So to me, that was just indicative of how good the movie is. So I thought the movie was yeah. great. I thought the pacing was awesome and I thought that the characters were awesome and um, they took the best parts of the book and they made it into a better story in my opinion. Yes. But with that said, they lost something very meaningful from the books, but which was that the whole element of like friendship and change and, and, but I think that that was worth it in my opinion. I think that that was worth sacrificing. Yeah. So when people ask, usually when people hear that I majored in film in college, one of the first things they'll ask is, what is your favorite movie? And I hate that question for yeah. many reasons because, I mean, I... Nobody has one. My real, no. my real, yeah, exactly. My real thoughts about it are, I like a lot of different movies for a lot of different reasons. Um, but then at the same time, I don't want to be that pretentious film dude who's like, well, I like a lot of movies. <laughs> so I feel like I've had to have a response and answer to that question. And at a certain point, I was just like, yeah, it's Scott Pilgrim. Um, hmm. Actually, at a certain point, I was like, okay, I'll have a twofold response. It's Scott Pilgrim <laughs> and 
I'll put a French New Wave movie on there, day for day, because I love that movie. Oh, that's a good one. I love that one. I know. I don't usually like French New Wave, but I love love Day for Night. And I love both of those movies for the same reasons. They both really call attention to the medium itself, and Mm -hmm. they use it in unique ways. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so every time that I watch this movie, it's after like another year or two, and I always have a slightly different perspective on on life, but also on the movie itself. And so- I get different things out of it every time. And I feel like this time that I watched the movie, I really got a sense of all of its flaws. And I feel like I really understand why people wouldn't like it. And also a lot of just its shortcomings. But at the same time, all the stuff that I love, I love even more because everything that's good about the movie is so good that there are so many layers of good. It's the, every shot is so well composed and like the soundtrack. And then there is so much nuance in the acting and each character is just this, this presence. And you don't need to really have them developed in the script because the actors are so good at just exuding this personality for every character. Yeah, totally. Oh man. There's so so much to love about the movie and the effects are incredible. Just the editing wow. was insane. The editing <laughs> yeah. was insane. Like yeah. that's a movie that like, if I have to look to like really well edited, that's the one I would point to like yeah. so fucking good. And Wait, so it's funny you say I that guess- Nick really quick. I just want to add something. I recently recommended this movie to a, a friend of mine um, and I hadn't seen it in a long time. And I was like, I always thought Scott Pilgrim was mainstream. Like I always no. thought that this movie was a mainstream appeal. So I recommended to him wholeheartedly. He's kind of more into like, like mainstream movies and stuff. Uh-huh. And um, he, I recommended it to him, think wholeheartedly being like, you're going to freaking love it. It's so fun. And then he texted me as he was watching. He's like, what's happening? Uh." (laughs) And then I'm like, oh, it's so good, right? And he's like, yeah, it's interesting. And then he finished the movie and he's like, yeah, it was very interesting. And I'm like, what? Like, I always Scott, isn't Scott Pilgrim mainstream? Like, isn't that like something that like everybody likes? Absolutely not. No, it bombed. (laughs) The movie was a box office bomb. Really? Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. My mouth just dropped. That <laughs> was the sound effect. Just over time, it's become more and more of a like cult hit, especially because um, Edgar Wright and, has gotten more popular as a director. Dude, I can't believe yeah. that this movie oh, was yeah. solid, though. I, I know about its flaws. It's hard to you can't ignore them, but it's like it wasn't like it was good. It was a good movie. <laughs> like, it, it, well, I feel like we have different perspectives on what the flaws were too. Yeah. Okay. You talk. Continue your thing. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just okay. I had to ask. Well, no. You yeah. That. I was I was just finishing up. Those are my overall thoughts. Um. I still love the movie. I don't know if I'd consider it my favorite movie anymore, but it's still one of my favorites. I I can't call it the best, but I I never claim to. Yeah. Um, no movie's the yeah, best. It's, it's it's a great movie. I love yeah. it uh, wholeheartedly. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think. Okay, so what are the flaws? Because I want to hear your flaws. I'll quickly tell you my flaws because it's very short. I think that the major flaws in the movie for me was it removed that sense of meaning that the that this that the graphic novels had and the 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 series had, and it made it more like surface level enjoyable, less deep. Um, so you lost an element of meaning. Um, and I also thought that the movie went really really fast, so that like the development of like certain things, like for example, Scott's romance to Ramona. 
it almost felt superficial. Yeah, yeah. And and I I thought that that was kind of a loss in 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 the power of the story because like kind of the whole thing is Scott is in love with her and he finds out that he's in love with her and that's why he ends up going to fight Gideon, etc. Yeah. Where um, and then I yeah. Where, yeah. Whereas like in in the movie, it kind of feels like he's. More, he just goes through it. He's more yeah. he's more like infatuated with Ramona than yes, in love exactly. with her. It's like exactly. There's just like this infatuation. It's not like a it's not like a a, a real love. Yeah. You don't really like, see that. It, it's it's the kind of it's the kind of love where you go on a date with one person. Like I I wrote this in my notes. Uh, I've never had a date that didn't end in disaster. That was just walking to the park in the snow, talking on some swings and then walking through a magical door. Like that's, that was their first date. Yeah. They, all yeah. they did was walk a little bit. Yeah. They didn't do anything, yeah. whatever. But then it started snowing. But then it started but, snowing and they couldn't the, see. Yeah, there was exactly, there and was then, like that and superficiality they, to it, right? They did the tea thing and then they, they yeah. didn't have sex. Yeah. And, and that, no, exactly. boom, that's and, love, you and, know? And, and it felt, and it felt very Hollywood-ish in that way. Like it was like a very fast developed romance. Almost like the mask. I always bring up our old shit, the mask, like all of a sudden he's in love. Like mm -hmm. that kind it of felt like the same that. thing in the books, though. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Wait, wait, wait. In the first volume, yeah, it was. yeah, of course, because yeah. because in the first volume, and then even extending into the second and third volumes, uh, a lot of it, a lot of Scott's infatuation with Ramona was chalked up to she's using the highways that run through his head. Yeah, and that was the reason why he became infatuated with her. Of course, but 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 by the fourth book, you see that there's like actual love. Like you, you, yeah. you they both love each other. The characters more. Yeah, because you see the characters more exactly, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like we lost that, but but um, so that like love kind of felt superficial in the movie. So I understand. It's like why would you go through all that? Like th that logic, even though the movie had no logic, like that logic for some reason kind of stuck out. And then um, and then I also um. Honestly, I think that those are like the biggest like weak spots of the movie for me. I just felt like it just was way it, it speeded through so much. But yeah. um, as far as that, like I I thought that it was a really solid experience. Like it didn't feel like it ever was trying to take itself too seriously, um, which was you know um, one of the reasons it landed so well for me. Well, that's that is okay. So a lot of the things that you just said, I think. I don't necessarily consider those flaws. I consider them more style things, uh, which like they were stylistically different between the book and the movie. Uh, but for me, the flaws are more um, like, I think specifically the last 20 minutes of the movie, I felt like the movie was too long. I felt like the last 20 minutes I didn't care about because like once he defeats Roxy, then you have like the Karayanagi battle uh, with the amp to amp thing. And that was funny, but like, it didn't really do anything for me. And then the whole Gideon thing, I felt like Scott's inserted. like dark out of the soul. And then the Gideon thing, it just took way too long. Uh, and it was just, it was still nonstop paced, uh, but it was mostly just nonstop action beats. And <laughs> yeah. there were so many coming at you so quickly and it was just too much. And by that point in the movie, you've already experienced so much that I, it just I get disinterested by that yeah, point it, every it, single time. It, it feels like they, you you know, were 130 pages in and then we're like, oh shit, we only got 30 pages left. We got, yeah, exactly. and we're, on, we're on volume two. Yeah, I felt that too. We gotta but get that, the rest of these. Yeah, 100%. No, like it's, if, not, it's not about the pacing. It's about, I just didn't like that it was so many action, like action scenes just 
back to back to back. I really I that's how they had to sell it. Like, yeah. I, think, I think that they had to make a decision because if they had made a movie like the novel where it was just a lot of like teen drama, like it wouldn't have been as good. I just don't think it would have been as good as a movie. It would have failed more. You know, I felt like that whole, I felt like embracing that action element of the series is what made it unique because it made it fun to watch and it made it more of like a dynamic experience because honestly, the character stuff like was weak ish in the books. And it's like, you put that on the yeah. screen, it's going to be worse. Yeah. And then that's another flaw that I, that I thought I do agree with you on that. Um, like if you go into the movie, uh, expecting a normal movie or if you're if you're not game for something that's just like completely different you're not gonna like it if you go into the movie uh not really understanding the culture that the movie was made in that the movie was made to represent you're not going to be able to appreciate all of that like and you're not going to like it um like i think if you if you don't really care for video games in that style, if you don't really care for comic books in that style, if you don't care for like just wacky artist humor, if you don't care for that like underground music world, indie underground shit. music world, yeah, yeah, all that stuff, it's stuff that like directly appeals to all of us, mm-hmm. but in our friends group, yeah, 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 we're we're a very like that's not a very large part of the population. We live that in a bubble. Likes we live in a bubble. <laughs> we're like everybody <laughs> likes it, right? Like everyone I know likes it. Everyone yeah, you know yeah. likes it. I'm like no, like everyone's like you guys are weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there was one time where uh, my my cousins on my dad's side would always have like every month or two, all of the cousins would get together and just like hang out, and, like either. Uh, play a game or watch a movie or something. And uh, we watched this movie once and like almost none of them uh, got it. A few of them enjoyed it, but with reservations. And then there was one of them who actually loved it. Uh, Uh, Are you talking about Tarnation? Because that was was different. Oh, gotcha. Oh, you're you're always showing your your family weird shit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like but Andre, our nation was with a, a very small group where I thought that they would be able to to oh handle God. it. And just so you know, like his 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 um um Johnny, his brother-in-law, like uh literally he was like walked out of the room. <laughs> yeah. But Johnny owned three movies on DVD when DVDs were popular, and well, actually. It, it was three things. It was The Great Gatsby, the Leonardo DiCaprio one. Of course. Uh, Bridesmaids and all eight seasons of Charmed. So <laughs> that should tell you his tastes. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I got to say like the, the forget. And I feel like a freaking fraud because I shit on the mask so much because the mask was, I was like, the mask was stupid, but like the mask is like, forget everything and just enjoy this wacky, like this wild experience. And I'm saying now for Scott Pilgrim, forget forget everything and enjoy this wild experience. Why is it that for the mask, it doesn't work for me, but for this, it works for me. Is it because the mask is mainstream and I'm a fucking wannabe? It's it's because Scott Pilgrim appeals to you. There was so much care put into, as we said, like every aspect of this movie, the mask was, I mean, it's not because it was, because it was mainstream, but it's, I don't dislike it because just because it was mainstream. No, me too. That's why I meant the production, like it was trying to appeal to such a wide audience that, uh, it ended up not having a creative voice. 
Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, Thank you for for, whereas, for making it clear. Yeah. To me. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim, you can feel the creative voice of every single person who worked on it. You're so right. And they're you're all right. working together in this glorious harmony. But and you're right. But, but here's the thing: some people think that I maybe that's too much. Maybe it like yeah, like you're we saying it's so it's so specific of a of an audience that they're that this movie is geared towards that. You know what the problem might have been with the bombing, though? I got to say this. Maybe it was because of the marketing and the release. It was marketed yeah. with Michael Sarah. Like, everyone had an idea of who Michael Sarah was. And it was just like, this was, also, this was also during the time when Michael Sarah was starting to get, like, hated. Okay, like, yeah. People so, were like, so fuck Michael Sarah. Yeah. Because yeah. everyone was saying, oh, he always plays the same character. Yeah, yeah. People were getting tired of him. But also, um, the marketing. Like, like it, it, is, that's kind of what happened with Spring Breakers, um, which, was, uh, which is that's the, exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> the most glorious, like, that was on purpose, though. Like, the, like Harmony yeah. Karina was like, let's fucking do this. Whereas with Scott Pilgrim, so I feel like with Scott Pilgrim, they genuinely were like, this is a fun movie. And I feel like everybody will, kind of like me recommending it to another friend. <laughs> but they yeah. forgot, like, how in their own world they were. And then they marked, but the obviously Universal was like, we got to make a lot of money with this because it costs a lot of money. So they marketed it as a, they gave the wrong idea going into the movie. And I feel like that's why it bombed. And and I feel like if it was released, like if it was released, like an A24 movie is released today, like, yeah, I think it yeah. would have been successful. Think about the lighthouse. Like people don't want to see that. Like only certain people want to see that. No, uh, no, that but, was, but, here's, but here's the thing. So many people are like, this movie is, oh, we're like uncut gems. Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems, yeah. But yeah, Did, A24. That, I, I just watched Uncut Gems the other day. I was just like, I don't, I loved it, but I can't see why other people that aren't like <laughs> me love this movie. That's and, how I felt too. And if Scott Pilgrim was, I maybe if Scott Pilgrim was released today. Like t- today in that kind of context, I think so too. I feel like the indie film world was different than it is today. Um, whereas it's very like streamlined today in a way that like there are a few production houses who know their audience really well and their audience is very, very devoted and they're very, very down for the weirdest shit, um, i.e. the lighthouse or 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 a Midsummer's Dream, you know? So yeah. I think that it's not Scott Pilgrim's, the, the movie's fault for not landing as well as it did is, is maybe what, I, is what I'm positing here. <laughs> Something that I really, really loved about the movie was... It's, uh, it's, I, I'm saying scenes and backgrounds, but the, the set design, mm-hmm. um, the, the clubs, I, every single time that they were in a club, I was like, I've been inside that club. Yeah. yeah. Literally. Okay. But like, I have been inside that club. Like, like the, um, ba- the battle of the bands and with the, yeah. with Crash and the Boys. I was like, oh, oh so good. that's the talent farm down, down yeah. in Pembroke yeah. Pines. The way yeah. the promoter came on and he like, doesn't even know how to pronounce the band's name. He's like, uh, oh. sex. Bob, um, um, <laughs> so, so disinterested, and and it still was able to keep its love letter to Toronto aspect that the books had too. Like they shot it in Toronto. It was it was really cool to see that. Like that, even though it was kind of made for it was made in a, for an American audience, they kept all of those Toronto things about it, which I'm sure yeah. really pleased Brian Lee O'Malley. And it makes the movie feel like it is truly its own thing, as is, opposed yeah. to just made in a backlot. A hundred percent. I totally yeah. agree. But also i really love the interiors of uh, like all the apartments. Like I have known people who have lived in those apartments. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's yeah. Ah, so it, good. It was, it was really good. That. Yeah, it was, it was, it's a great movie. And and just the, the fact that 
like like with the with the settings and stuff how they did so much care into making it exactly exactly like, like the comics exactly yeah. like the comics i i was looking yet last night and i was like wait that's the poster that that's the the poster of the of scott's poster of the two girls kissing that wallace hates and ramona hates like they had that <laughs> yeah. and and just uh, like brianley brianley o'malley said uh that uh in the books uh he a lot of things like he combined different aspects of things that he had in his life. So Scott's apartment was like two different apartments that he had uh, mushed together. And so when he walked on the set, he was like, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. That's so fucking cool. And I think that's why it works so well. Like it did the things that like the fans of the series would appreciate that it did, you know, like those little details matter and having like yeah. the perfect casting matters. Like Wallace was so good, like yeah. so good. He was the same character, like like it was it was it was eerie almost, you know. I, I'm imagine for Brian Lee O'Malley, it must have been like this like surreal experience to be on set with all these characters that he basically like thought of in his head that yeah. actually exist, you know. The only exception I gotta say is maybe Ramona. Mm -hmm. I wonder if 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 they changed it because of the fact that like when Scott Pilgrim came out, it was like a little bit after like those like um all those other Michael Sarah movies where there's like this pixie girl, like yeah. that, like is like super like bubbly and like mysterious, but like, but like at uh -huh. the same time, she's very sentimental. Ramona had a more like punk feel in the movie than she did in the books. Yeah. And yeah, she's almost yeah. a little more closed off in a way. And I, I, I don't know how, how I feel about that. I really like that. But at the same time, I felt like it kind of limited me from liking her as much as I did in the books. Um, in the very cartoony way that the, that the movie portrayed every character. I felt like that made sense to be like the core Ramona that we see. Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. I, I, yeah. I was just, I just, it, it wasn't like the, that was the one thing that was, it kind of made the story a little bit different too. Cause that's one of the major things that um, like we lose is like that love is that real romance that we get to see. One of my favorite parts of the movie that I honestly didn't really notice until I was watching it for this podcast where I had to have my like cr critique. eye was that, for the first 20 minutes and then really for almost the rest of the movie, every single sh shot that takes place in a new location or a, a new scene, there is a seamless transition in some way yeah. where like Good. either either someone's walking in front of the camera or there's just like a, a, a great little whip pan or even like oh, the characters are in the same position. In the same as, exact angle and it's just a the, different cut. It's just a different person or a different location yes. with the same or, like lighting or, and stuff like that. It's and so good. It's, it's seamless. Yeah. And like, I really love the ones where it would be like Scott on the screen, like in his bedroom, and then uh, Stephen would come in and like yell at his face, and then immediately the background would cut, and it was just the background that cut. Yeah, and then yeah. you realize that they're in a new location. This movie does it master masterfully. Like it doesn't just use objects and foreground to cut to like scenes. It's like while they're moving the camera, it does exactly what Nick said. Like Scott is in his bedroom sitting and then all of a sudden it cuts to Steven who is, seems to be in his bedroom, but it actually is in the new house, you know? Yeah. yeah. It does it in it's a way like, that's really cra like really masterful. Like you could tell that there's a lot of craft behind the way they do it. It's not like gimmicky. You know what's something I really liked about the movie? It was how fucking quotable it was. Like to this day, oh. I always thought like, he knocked the highlights out yeah. of her hair. But then yes, when I was watching it two days ago, I was like, 
I would, um, by curious, I'm a little by furious. And like with a, like a huge, like cuts a close up. I just, that would made me die. The, like, the, movie is so fun. We didn't even so, talk about how funny this movie it's is. It's hilarious. It's, it's, it, it was funny yeah. as a book. It's better as a movie. Like they all yeah. understood the essence of the jokes and they made them even better in my opinion. It was yeah. so Did, good. To this day, I still have a couple friends from like high school and early college where I'm like, I'm I'm in lesbians with you, and it's like I'm in oh, lesbians with you classic. too. Like, I I I was watching it with Marie last night, and I basically quoted it the entire time. I remember I knew Nick almost the, every single line. The second time I watched it, Nick was when we were watching it at our, our, our friend um, our, Triana's house, and um, I remember like everybody there was like quoting the movie like line for line, and I'm like, I've never been one of those people who could do that, but like I just I understand how it's that movie. It's so good. Yeah. I know every line before it happens. Like yeah. I've seen this movie enough times that I'm at that point, but at the same time, the way that it's delivered has a nuance that yeah. is just so funny Dude, every Lucas, time. Lucas Lee's character, um, Chris Evans killed it. Like he yeah. was like, what? You didn't get the email? <laughs> just kidding, bro. Like I, I, I love, I love let's that. Go get, let's go get a beer. Let's go get a beer. It's like, <laughs> he gets the text and he's like, oh, that's actually hilarious. <laughs> like, I love that. <laughs> and I was just thinking last night, oh my God, the first movie that I see in a movie theater once this is all over might be Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> with a bunch of people that are there because they love the movie yeah. and it will be such a good fun time and i'm so excited for it and i do that or it'll be the fourth evangelion movie finally what was your oh, guys' favorite so joke what was your favorite joke in the movie because i like i said mine is the bike curious one. Oh, bread the, the, makes you fat bread makes you fat is a good one too i always say that to karen too like whenever yeah. we're eating bread i'm like bread makes you fat yeah i eat bread every day so <laughs> <laughs> what, well, what about you, I, Nick? Your house. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what's your favorite line? I, I I didn't think about this. I can't come up with one. He knocked the line each other right here. I've decided for you. <laughs> Young Neil, he really does a good job in the movie to become being his own character. Like, yeah, that was awesome. So something that I didn't notice until this time, I don't know why I never noticed it, but um, I love the way that Sex Bob-omb's journey as a band uh, mirrors Scott's journey uh, as he has like increasing stakes and like increasing like further and further uh, in the X's the the shows that Sex Bob-omb plays and their proximity to like mainstream success is getting like bigger and bigger. Yeah, I'm so, I'm, su- so cool. I'm surprised you never noticed that because yeah, that that was no. something. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I think it's because at a certain point I started taking the narrative for granted. Uh, because I just knew it so well. Um, and like, I didn't know it when I, I didn't notice it when I was younger. And so I just never thought to like, think about it after that. Mm-hmm. I thought it was much better utilization of the band in the book. It was more like, like a, a character building thing. It was like more of a side. Yeah. Funny well, see, I, I see, I see the band in the, in the comics being more of like, that was the thing that was keeping them together. Mm-hmm. And then, like I was saying that we're recording and then once that happens, that's really when things start going wrong. That's when they start disconnecting from each other. That's when everyone starts getting, you know, conflict with each other. And that's that's the reason why that band was there. And then yeah. in in the ending, him and Kim make the other band and they suck, but they're back to yeah, not fine. being popular and famous and that's what they wanted to be. So what was your guys' favorite fight scene, either with the exes or just if there were any other action beats that you really liked? I love I, I- the um, the 
or fourth, the fourth, the, the one with Roxy and Ramona. Yeah. Roxy yeah. was awesome. Yeah, because the way that it took place in the club and how uh, it was Roxy versus Ramona, which was cool. The way yeah. that Roxy was like constantly poofing away and then like reappearing somewhere else with the black smoke. And then uh, Ramona has to use Scott to fight. Uh, like she's like holding up his arms and like pushing him forward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All of that. Super cool. And also hilarious. She had the best one-liners in the movie. She did. She did. Um, I, I like that scene the best, but I also um, really like seeing Lucas Lee's badass. Yeah, has been. That was so good. Um, I really like the uh, Lucas Lee's badass grind in the movie. It was mm-hmm. so much better watching you, it like in an action form, like an you, action movie. Did you, did you notice when the, when he was grinding, like the aspect ratio changed to yeah, make it course, more yeah. like cinematic. Yeah, Every time there like, was like a fight oh. scene, he would change the aspect ratio. I, I thought that, that was a really cool, like touch that they did, but yeah. it was super actiony. Like, like, Oh, it's a grind. It's called a grind, bro. And he was like, yeah, can you do a grindy thingy? And then he's like, huh. I, I really like them all, but uh, I think my favorite one is just, is the first one because I have it by heart. <laughs> I have all of uh, Matthew Patel's like movements and like like the song and stuff like that. So like, oh, I love the Bollywood, the Bollywood and, um, nod yeah. for Matthew and just Patel. Like, yeah, and just like how like they used, I I'm, I know for a fact that they use this in the other fight scenes, but they use like the practical dust and stuff like that, like they would use in in fight, uh, you know, in kung fu movies and stuff like that to like really yeah. show hits and stuff like that where they just like put a fuck ton of dust on you and then like if you punch there's gonna dust everywhere and it shows like power huh. and it, cool. it really felt like it it felt exactly like what you would see in a comic book panel there would be a punch and then you would see the lines of you know the lines of move of movement and motion on the page but- and that's a way that they directly did it on screen that also really, uh, I think that really sold for me how dirty and grimy that venue was where they yeah. were fighting. Yeah, that, that <laughs> totally did. Um, we all love this movie. Yes, it has some flaws, but it is aimed directly at us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are the target them. <laughs> yeah. So um, when it comes to book versus movie, our choice. we have a preference. This might be the hardest one we've decided on, to be honest. It's actually easy for me. Movie. I just I have a lot more love for the movie than I do for the books. I I I if I saw the movie if I trying to experience it for the first time today, I would say movie. The book has a lot more meaning to me just because of what it meant to me when I first read it. It, it like really changed me in some ways, and um, I can't ignore that. You know, even if it's experienced differently now. But if I have to be objective for like an audience of people who are listening to this, I think that the movie is a more pleasant experience, but they're both so good. It's like, if I could tie one, I would tie this one just because of that for me, but it's movie movie otherwise. I think like, like I, I think the movie, like I think if I was watching this, I think if I was watching this for the first time, I would do exactly like what I did when I first encountered this series. I watched the movie. I was like, I love this movie. Oh my God. Those books. And then I go out and read, and which is, you know, Nick, you know me. I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I do not do that. This this podcast has forced me to read more than I've read in a very long time. But I think I love them in the same amount, just in different ways. But because we have to choose something, I will choose the movie. Yeah. The cool. hardest unity vote that's ever been achieved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like we should have a sound idea. effect for that. Like a, 
Unity vote. Like something with a much more beautiful angelic voice. And like a Okay, so our quote, closing quote for today. Um, this is from a 2010 Cinema Blend interview. And the question was, one of the criticisms leveled against Marvel these days is that they're no longer producing comics. They're just producing platforms to be turned into movies. Do you think there's a danger uh, of that for smaller comics, for indie comics? Brian Lee O'Malley said, yeah, it's already happening. I feel like a lot of people come to indie comics because it's a cheap and easy way to get something that looks like a movie and show it to movie producers, which I think is a crappy way to do comics. It's not a way to make a good comic anyway. And then, yeah, the Marvel style these days is kind of a photorealistic pseudo-movie look. I don't think that's the strength of comics. I'd prefer to see everything look exactly like Scott Pilgrim. Is he doing a dig <laughs> directly at the guy who wrote Kingsman? Um, maybe. 2010. Maybe. Like, maybe. Like it. I, I think it was, that was at the very, very beginning of uh, Mark Millar's current <laughs> status. So it, it might not have been directly aimed at him, but it was definitely aimed at the kind of person that he would become. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we'll see you all next month oh and our social media uh follow like subscribe whatever you can do i don't even know what you can do but do all of it um of it. we are at panels in motion on twitter and instagram uh you can also find us on stitcher spotify and apple podcasts we'll see you all next month thank you and goodbye bye All right, so that's it. Fuck <laughs> 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 okay, everybody. That's it. That's all, folks. Okay, I'm going to start that again.